Well, it's no secret, everyone, that I am the old man on the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network. And something happened tonight that has never happened in my lifetime. As a matter of fact, it has never happened in twice my lifetimes. As a matter of fact, it hasn't happened in 104 years. And that is the Philadelphia Phillies starting their season 4-0. Welcome into Crossed Up. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, joined as always by Bob Wankel. And we have an, a juggernaut, an early season juggernaut, I should say, just to qualify, uh, on our hands as the Phillies, we are recording after the uh, game in Washington, the Bryce Harper return to D.C. game. Phillies obliterate the Nationals 8-2, to yet another offensive explosion. Got some good pitching from Zach Eflin, and the team is just rolling along as the only unbeaten team in Major League Baseball, Bob. Um, I don't think either of us saw it going to be you know saw this good of a start for this team we thought it would be a good team but we didn't think it would be this good of a start and it is just it's epic at this point are you kidding me you know that's my response to what I'm watching right now I mean is this for real I was down there on Saturday and Sunday watch this game tonight and you know I mean it's it's hard it's hard not to get a little bit carried away right now you you watch what they're doing from an offensive standpoint, and they just absolutely bleed opposing pitchers. And they did it again tonight. Max Scherzer, five innings, 96 pitches. If I would have told you this morning that the Phillies would have 14 hits tonight in a game started by Max Scherzer, in a game in which he was coming off a loss, no less, uh, to the Mets on opening day. Here's Max Scherzer, overwhelming favorite tonight. The Phillies are throwing out Zach Eflin, who in three starts last year against Washington just wasn't very good. And the Phillies just pounded them to death tonight. And off a series sweep against Atlanta at home, you could see a little bit of a letdown spot, even with the Bryce Harper angle coming into play here in Washington, making his return. This this is crazy. I cannot believe, not just that the Phillies are winning, but just it's thorough domination, and I am blown away by it. I mean, we were both bullish on this team this season with good reason, but I did not see this coming. I did not see 4-0 and not like this. No, neither did I. I mean, and they're beating the shit out of their opponents right now. Yeah, they are. And, and the thing that, I, that really kind of impresses me, and you mentioned it, um, is just kind of how they responded on a night when everyone knew this was the, the, the spotlight of the Major League Baseball world was going to be on Bryce Harper and his return to Washington, D.C. And this team just played their rear ends off behind him. They really did. And that was – and that's – it wasn't just Harper. Yes, Harper had a great game. He had three hits. He had a home run. You know, he had a game. Okay, even though he struck out the first two times up, he had a hell, hell of a game. But before he got rolling, there was other players on this team who picked him up. Gene Segura had a hell of a game. His bases loaded double down the right field line was a thing of beauty, just hitting the pitch where it was thrown and, and just going with it, you know, the opposite way. That's what you, That, to me, is far more exciting in a baseball game, and that's because I'm an old guy. But it's far more exciting to me than a home run. It really is. Like, I love that when, when a guy takes the right approach at the plate. Uh, Michael Franco hits another bomb, sits on a changeup. By Scherzer, which is, you know, Scherzer has five pitches. So how you can guess what pitch is coming with him is kind of crazy. And and Franco, and it was in on him too. So he kept his hands in, got the barrel uh, of the bat around, you know, and out in front of, out on the changeup and was able to drive it 
Well, you I'm know what's amazing? You, you talk about Segura and how you're more impressed with with his hit, his uh, his bases loaded double, than you are with uh, Harper's home run. I mean, let's just look at Mike Alfranco. I'm more impressed with the fact that the guy had three walks in yeah. addition to the home run. I mean, we're talking about two for two tonight with three walks. He's showing plate discipline. He's he's patient. He's getting pitches to hit, and he's capitalizing on them. I mean, this is what you want. And you're talking about a guy who, not so long ago, we looked at with 30 to 35 home run potential, and you see what he's doing. And I know it's only four games, small sample size, and we could qualify everything that we say tonight with small sample size. I know that. I'm not dumb. But you just look at the confidence in which which he's playing right now, and you look at his approach at the plate, and this is peak Mike Alfranco. This is what we thought we were going to get when he came up as a 22-year-old. And there's reason to believe, no, do I, do I think he's going to hit 340 all year? You know, right now he's hitting, what, 545? Do I think he's going to be the MVP of baseball? No, I don't. But do I think that he can be a really, really polished, quality hitter in that eight spot for this team? Absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, you just look at it. We talked about the depth. When right before the start of the season, not necessarily that the Phillies would have the best lineup in baseball, but just the depth from one to eight in this lineup, it's tremendous. And and really, just what they're doing in terms of both their patience and then pouncing on opposing pitchers' mistakes right now, it's extraordinarily impressive. Yeah, no, it is. And and you know maybe we should have been maybe we should have been a little bit more bullish on Franco um, after seeing how he played last year. Because he was a pleasant surprise last season. We, we talked about that several times uh, on previous episodes. He was a pleasant surprise last season. But may, you know, maybe we kind of just got caught up in the fact that, like, oh, well, you know, Franco had a better season than he had had the last two when he was terrible. Right? And uh, it was just, you know, it was a good season. But, I mean, you know, it, they could always do better. And we got caught up in the fact that the Phillies were pursuing Manny Machado or, or that maybe they would, you know, go out and sign. And if they didn't get Machado, maybe they would sign, like, a Mike Moustakis to play third base. Like, we were – we kind of dismissed Franco as a member of this, of this starting nine. And – Maybe we shouldn't have. Maybe that's something that we overlooked. Yeah, I mean, look look what happens when you take a little bit of pressure off a guy, right? He's not the focal point. He's not the key piece. And then also when you surround him with competent hitters. And these are, are two different different dynamics to his season right now. He's not a key piece. He's not the guy. And he also is completely surrounded by just, you know, downright scary and, and formidable hitters right now. And and I think that that has a big impact on, on what he's doing. And I think he feels very comfortable. And by the way, in 2018, he showed flashes of being a pretty good eight-hole hitter as well. I mean, this isn't completely new to him. He did have some starts in the eight-hole last season, and he was quite successful doing so. So... Clearly, he has a level of comfort in this spot, and he's taking advantage of it. And, you know, I think that he knows the writing's on the wall. If he wants to remain in Philadelphia, if he wants to get a, a, a decent contract here, I think that uh, he knows it's the, the time is now, and he has to hold off Scott Kingery as well. And, and he's done it to his credit thus far, four games in, and we have a long season to go here, and I'm sure he'll cool at some point. But this is extraordinarily encouraging right off the bat. And I, I don't want to get too far into this thing with, with really uh, burying the lead. And the lead is Bryce Harper. I mean, we yeah. talk about Gene Segura and what he did and what Mike Alfranco did tonight. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons to feel good about those things. But let's talk about Bryce Harper because I think that there's something – I think that this game reveals something about a guy like Bryce Harper tonight. 
you have all this buildup. You know that the sports world's going to be watching this game. He knows that he's going to take a ton of shit when he returns there this evening. He knows he's going to hear the booze. He knows there's going to be a few cheers mixed in. But for all intents and purposes, he knows he's going to get absolutely buried tonight. And what's he do? He strikes out. First couple of bats, he looks bad. And, you know, that could rattle a lot of guys. No. You know, and what does he end up doing? He has a a three-hit game, and then he caps it off with a 458-foot blast into the second deck. And, And I think that that speaks volumes about the type of guy that he is. I mean, he's a dog. He says, you know what, Boomy, go ahead. I don't give a shit. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to do me. I'm Bryce Harper. It doesn't matter. And I think that that's what we saw tonight. And the level of energy and the confidence, and I hate the word, but I'll use it here, swag that he's bringing to this lineup, to this team right now, it's permeating the entire roster 1-25. to I mean, and it's evident. Yeah, no, it is. And, and, that's, what, and that's what I was saying, try, or at least that's where I was headed before I got off onto one of my tangents. But to see the lineup behind him kind of just go along with it you know what I'm saying like they knew what he was going to be facing tonight they knew the the kind of um spotlight that was going to be on him and you met you said it I mean they get all those hits in a game that Scherzer starts who who would have expected that yeah Harper got three of them but there were 11 more (laughs) and and you know what like the, the Phillies have have won games that have been started by Max Scherzer in the past but the thing that kind of impressed me the most was that I felt that they were in control of that game. I mean, Max Scherzer is the type of starting pitcher that dictates to the opponent, and I didn't feel like that tonight. I know he had nine strikeouts, and he was nasty. I mean, I'm not saying that Max Scherzer wasn't nasty at points tonight, but it just kind of felt like the Phillies dictated to him this evening. There was no point in which I felt like that they were completely overmatched or completely overwhelmed or that they were going to be incapable of producing hits or runs tonight. And... I know that the lineup is, is extremely different than it was a season ago. We're talking about a night and day type of deal here, but I was pretty comfortable. I was pretty confident throughout the course of this evening, especially even in innings one through five, that the Phillies were going to generate some offense tonight. It was more a matter for me of, will Zach Eflin do his part and will the bullpen hold it down? But from an offensive standpoint, you know, I get that it's Max Scherzer. I get the multiple Cy Youngs. I wasn't really concerned. They looked pretty comfortable. Yeah, I mean, they got seven hits off him. I mean, you know, eight base runners. He did have one walk. Um, and that's the interesting thing. Like, he only had the one walk. But they really grinded him. They really forced him to throw a lot of pitches. They, you know, they spit on a bunch of balls. They, they you know, fouled a bunch off. I mean, there was a lot that the Phillies did. Their approach was good. And, look, Scherzer, Scherzer kind of figured them out in the middle innings there, like the third, fourth, uh, fifth. I thought he actually pitched really well and the Phillies didn't look as good, but they still took a lot of pitches to get him out of the game. Yeah, I mean, you looked up in the fourth inning, and they held a one uh, nothing lead, and it was before they, uh, I, I guess they had scored on the uh, pass, pass ball, ball, right? Right, yeah. But you look up at the pitch count, and you say, he's already in the 70s. Like, he's not going beyond six tonight. And, and then they, they run it up at the end of the fourth there and into the fifth, and he's out of the game after five. And you can be great, you can be electric, nasty, all those things, but you last five innings, okay. You know, you, you take your chances at that point. So Yeah, and, and I'll be honest, I thought it was poorly managed there by Martinez. I think you could have probably could have gotten another inning out of Scherzer, to you be honest. You probably could have. You certainly could have. And and they really they should have probably brought him up to bunt down right, 2-0 that, they, they should with have bunt, nobody right. on ba- or uh, with yeah. two men on base and nobody out. Right. And, 
and they elect to pinch hit in that spot, and that turned out to be a disastrous situation for them. Well, that's my that's that's what I I mean. This is what I harp on all the time about you know people going for the big inning, right? I mean, just played fundamental baseball. It's a two run game, and you got two guys on base and nobody out, and the best pitcher in the game. <laughs> Get, yeah. get another inning out of them. Just let them bump the runners over and hope that one of your next two guys gets a single. Even if one of them, even if they only get a fly ball, you get a fly ball out of um, out of Soto. I guess Soto let off tonight, right? You get a fly ball out of Soto. You get one of those two runs back, and then the Phillies probably don't have a four run inning off of Max Scherzer in the sixth, likely, right? I mean, so it's a, it's a different ball game. I think I think the Nationals kind of cost themselves a little bit there by poor, with some poor managing. Um, but you know, I'm not going to take anything away from the Phillies. They're playing such great baseball right now, and it's a it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, and, I, I you, mean, and you know what's amazing? Like, just look at the box score, and and the box score doesn't tell the whole story. But Reese Hoskins 0 for five tonight, two strikeouts. JT Realmuto 0 for five tonight, one strikeout. So you get your four five hitters going a combined 0 for ten in this game, and you still find a way to generate eight runs of offense and 14 hits. And, and I think that this is the scary thing if you're a National League team or certainly an NL East team. We talk about the depth. And, and you go, okay, well, depth is about, well, they, they have a good top of the order and they have a run producers in the middle and they have some comp, competent hitters at the bottom of the lineup. What I mean by depth is just that maybe not all of these parts click. You know, it's not necessarily that the top of the order is always going to set the table, the middle of the order is always going to hit them in, and then the bottom of the order is also going to make you pay. It's just that on any given night, any group of these guys can do significant damage. It's not just like, oh, they'll bleed out a couple hits. I mean, they have run producers one to eight. They have guys that, that give opposing pitchers headaches one to eight. You have to grind your way through every single part of this lineup. And I mean... To have the middle, the core of your lineup have the night that they had tonight between the four and five spots and still generate that type of offense, I think it speaks to that. You cannot take a breath against this team right now. And I think that that becomes a, it gives you a mental advantage in, in terms of preparation and heading into the game. And then obviously what transpires on the field. There's just no breather for opponents against this lineup. No, and five different guys have multiple hits, and that's what we're we're, we're getting at at the beginning of the of the of the, uh, of the of the show here is that you know it on one it could be two guys tonight, it could be three different guys tomorrow, it could be you know the fourth and fifth guy of the next day. It, the lineup is is as good as it is because they can all contribute at any given moment. And yeah, of course there might be there's going to be games this year where they're going to look you know terrible where they'll get shut out and we'll be like what the heck happened you know i mean it, but but those are going to be a lot fewer and far between than they were and last you, season when we were seeing it every third night and you know it's amazing through the brave series as, as much as they they produced offensively they only hit 236 in those three games combined yeah. it wasn't like they you know they matched with 360 average and their batting average of balls in play was was bottom 10 through three games in, in major league baseball so it's not like it was a product of luck it wasn't like it was a uh, everything that they swung at fell somewhere found a hole i mean this is a team that i expect to hit well above three 236 as a team frankly and, and so i think that there's room for growth i think that there's a sustainable element to this i don't think this is just a an average or a mediocre or slightly above average offense that's exceeding expectations early on i think that what we're seeing right now is 
really what they are. And it may not always be Bryce Harper. It may not always be Michael Franco. Um, tonight, Odubel Herrera. It's It's got the chance to be somebody different every night. And I think that that... As someone that watched this team, and you know this, you get this, we watched this team so many nights last year just play just brutal offensive baseball. And to see this contrast, to see this difference in one year, it's 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 mind-blowing. Well, yeah. I mean, it, I mean it's, it's cert- mind-blowing. It, it is, is. is completely, it is just so far removed from what we saw a year ago in which they wasted quality start after quality start, quality pitching performances just get completely flushed down the toilet because of a con- totally incompetent offense, and and now here we are. So I, I don't know how you feel about this, and I, I think the question that I, I want to ask you, it's great, you're at home, you're riding the energy of Bryce Harper, you ride the energy of him tonight in this return. This was a big game. This was really important, I think, not only Bryce Harper, but this team as well. I think it, it speaks volumes that they, they, they showed up for him tonight. But let me ask you this. We're, we're four games into this thing. Do you... Have your expectations been recalibrated in the wake of what we've seen so far? No. <laughs> Wait, were you expecting God something different? God damn it, Anthony. No, I, I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I actually, I think I was expecting a little bit of a different answer. I, I will say this. This offense, um, it, it's hard because you walk a fine line. Like, you don't want to be a homer. You don't want to be wearing the, the red-shaded glasses necessarily. But I do think that this offense may be a little bit more potent than I initially gave them credit for. So when we talked about, and I think we agreed on 87 wins when we did this show a week ago, I look at this and say, well, there are a couple things that I feel pretty good about right now. I feel a lot better about Zach Eflin than I did a week ago. And I feel a little bit better about this offense than I did a week ago. Now, does it really move the needle? Like I don't have him as a 100-win team all of a sudden. But do I think that this could be a team that potentially wins 90-plus games? Like, I do. And, and maybe I'm too easily won. But I think that there are some some things here that have, have exceeded my expectations thus far that I think are sustainable. And, you know, I'm not an idiot. I, I don't think that, you know, necessarily a four-game sample can really turn things on its head. But there are some things here that are a little bit better than I had anticipated that I also think could possibly be sustainable moving forward. So, though I'm not drastically different in my expectations, I, I could see this being a 90-plus win team. Fair enough. Um, I guess I, I think that there has to be some natural regression, right? I mean, like you said, Michael Franco is not going to hit 545. And I'm not sure Gene Segura, even though he's a good hitter, is going to hit 353. And Bryce Harper is not going to hit 429. And, you know, Harper, Hoskins, McCutcheon, and Franco aren't going to have OPSs over 1,100. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So at some point, it's got to come back a little bit. Excuse me. And even the um, even the, the, the Phillies back in the, you know, 08, 09, 10, when they were a really great offensive team, even they went through a couple stretches where it was like horrendous. Yeah, absolutely horrendous. <laughs> like yeah. What happened to the absolutely. offense? Where did it go? So I mean, those things are going to happen. Um, I when you ask that question, have has my expectation changed? And I answered quickly and said no. 
I, I will add this caveat. That doesn't mean that you give me, you know, two more weeks of great baseball and they're after two weeks, you know, after 15 games, they're 12 and three. And then I said, well, maybe I changed my mind a little bit. You know, I, and maybe I will add a few more wins on at that point. Um, I just can't, I just can't, I'm conditioned to not get caught up in a small moment. And, and I, I think that that's fair. I, one thing that I kind of look at with this team, and it's something that we haven't seen here in a really long time, though. We talked last week about Bryce Harper and his marketability and how he kind of panders to the crowd and he's a social media genius. You know, we, we talked about all that stuff and whether or not it was sincere and does it even really matter if it's sincere. I, I do wonder, because we're numbers guys on this show, we talk about the advanced metrics, we talk about defensive runs saved, you know, we talk about the OPS, batting average of balls in play, things that aren't just, you know, beyond average in RBI, right? Like, we don't just, like, base ourselves in, in traditional numbers. We, we try to go a little bit deeper on this show sometimes. The thing that I struggle with, because I, I think that there's tremendous value in those numbers, but at the same time... There's something to be said for the human element, right? Like, I look at this team and I see this energy. I see this confidence. I see them win this game tonight. And they're out in center field. And you got Odubel Herrera shooting a three with his glove between the arms of Bryce Harper. And he sinks it. And Harper sticks up three fingers like bang. And you just see like him running out in the right field doing his bow to the crowd. All these guys seem to be having fun right now, and I think there's something to be said for that. Like, when you're a baseball team and you have certain strengths and weaknesses and you hit sliders well or, you know, you play extraordinary defense or you run the bases well and that's where you kind of find your value, that's all fine and well, Like that, if, if that's the physical strengths of your team. But I think when you have this confidence and you say, like, holy shit, you know, we're sweeping a city by storm right now. We have Major League Baseball by the balls right now. Like Everyone's looking at us, and we're, we're out here. We're doing it. I, I think there's something to be said for that, and I don't know that you can necessarily quantify it, but that's what I see with this team right now. They look like they're having fun. They look ultra-confident, and they, they kind of just look like, you don't have to like us. We're going to celebrate. We're going to ham it up and screw it. That's what we are now. And that's okay. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing, as a matter of fact. I, I don't have a problem with it at all. I think it's a I think it's a good sign um, that you know when things are going good that this team can feed off of itself, and that's a that's a great thing to have. And, and I believe and I believe what you're saying. Um, you know when you have that when you're having fun and you have that camaraderie and you're doing all these goofy things, you know in conjunction with playing successful baseball and winning baseball. That's that bodes well. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I guess the thing that I, before I'm ready to, you know, elevate my belief in the team, the thing that I want to see is how they handle adversity because it's going to happen. Um, there's going to be some adversity, whether it's an injury, you know, or or a losing streak or whatever, whatever the adversity is. How will they handle that? And and then if they handle that in the same way that they're handling success. Then I think it'll be a you know the Phillies will be could well be the best team in the National League, but if they don't handle it well, you know, and then you sit there and say, okay, well, we know that they can do they can play at this level and they can react and respond when things are going good. 
but when something goes goes bad, you know, yeah, the, does the honeymoon feeling go away? I mean, if they've taken a city by storm, and you said it, Major League Baseball by storm, one hundred percent. But one when it's not when they're not doing that, how does it how does it look? How does it feel? And I think that's that's where we can really make a good determination as to where it will be eventually. And who knows? And, and that, that's that, what that, made that's what made those 07, 08, 09 teams special because you said yes. it. You said it a couple minutes ago. I mean, there were stretches where they played very poorly, but they were always able to rebound from it. Now, right. could this team front run from start to finish? Yeah, I think that's entirely possible, but. I mean, you're certainly right. They are going to hit some some stretches here where things aren't going going well, and and can they kind of navigate that? And that's a question that remains to be seen. Right now, it's very obvious that they're kind of feeding off this energy that we talked about. Yeah, it's awesome. It, it really is, uh, and it's it's every one of them. I mean, there's there's not a guy in this lineup, and there's not a guy uh, really uh, on the pitching staff with the with the lone exception, I guess, of being David Robertson. Who has you know? I mean, yeah, Naris had a bad game, but he bounced back from it. Um, we'll see how Alvarez bounces back from giving up the two the, the two run homer. Um, but whatever. I mean, but it, there's not a guy on this roster who hasn't contributed to this success of four and zero at this point. I mean, everybody has. So you know, and, and looked good doing it for the most part. Like I said, with those two small exceptions. So so you know, I, I think wanna- it's great. You know what I want to talk okay, about here? I want to talk a little bit about Gabe Kapler. We didn't really do this last week. We didn't do it in the, the show leading up to the season, and uh, we, we didn't do it after opening day in our podcast, really. Uh, I think that you and I would both agree, and this is a point that we had talked about earlier on, uh, really right when they signed Bryce Harper, that if there were a manager that was on the hot seat uh, this season, it would probably be Gabe Kapler. I think that that last year there were mixed signals, mixed returns in, in his rookie campaign. Uh, and, and then you have this upgrade of talent, the expectations, the focus that's going to be on this team. If he does not perform well and this team doesn't win, he's going to be in a world of trouble. Now, it's been a great start. And there are a few things that have really jumped out at me about Gabe Kapler, and we spent many episodes a season ago talking about his strategic decisions and really what he was doing and, and trying to figure out the thought process. And there were times in which we were critical of him, and then I think there were times where we kind of came to his defense. I've kind of had a, a rosy outlook regarding Gabe Kapler to this point. There are a few things that I definitely want to touch on right now about what I've seen through four games, and I want to see where you're at with him. You know, Aaron Nola gets pulled on opening day uh, in 2018 against the Braves, and then everything goes to shit. It it all falls apart. They blow the game. It's a nightmare finish to opening day. I think it was Hector Neris gave up a walk-off homer, right? And I believe it was Nick Markakis, if I'm not mistaken. And it sort of set the tone right away. Like, this guy's managing by, uh, you know, analytics. It's all numbers-based. He can't think for himself. He doesn't have a feel. I fast-forward a year, and it was easy to leave Aaron Nola in on opening day. You know, he struggled early on. He had a hard time locating his fastball, but he ends up making it six innings. And I think that, that the city would have revolted if they would have yanked Aaron Nola at, earlier on in that, in that baseball game. 
But then I look at Sunday night's game, and you have Jake Arrieta on the mound, and he's laboring. I mean, he cannot locate. He's dancing in and out of trouble in the early innings. It's cold. It's the first start of the season. And Gabe Kapler could have very easily yanked him after the fourth inning and just said, you know what, you battled, you only let up one run, good job. But he stuck with him. And I was surprised. I was at that game, and Arietta looked out of rhythm the entire night. He really struggled. He was out of sync. But he hung in there, and he let him go back out for the fifth. And he let him go back out for the sixth. And I was taken aback by that because I thought to myself, old Gabe Kapler would have never done that. And then I started to think about why did he do that? Why did Jake Arietta have the ability to pitch six innings in that baseball game on Sunday night with a relatively rested bullpen? In a situation in which he wasn't really sharp early on the season in poor conditions. And as I started to work through that, I said to myself, you know what? I think that Gabe Kapler starting to pay attention more to the human element of things. And Jake Arrieta had a disastrous end of the 2018 season. It was Sunday night baseball, national audience, all eyes on the Phillies. And I think he said, you know what? He's navigating out of trouble. He needs this start for his confidence. Forget the numbers. Forget the splits. Forget what I'm watching. He needs this start for his confidence, for himself, to make a statement that he's going to be fine. And he sticks with him what I thought was really two extra innings in that start, and certainly at least one extra inning, and lets him get through six. And the and the decision paid off. Now, what was your interpretation of that decision? I think it was the right move. Um and I've, I've certainly seen a different Gabe Kapler through four games than I saw at any point last year. And I mean that by any point. Uh, even when the Phillies were doing well last year, Gabe was still fiddling with too much, in my opinion. Um, this year, he is leaving well enough alone. He's left. He hasn't touched. We talked a little bit this morning uh, via text about maybe there would be a change with the lineup because they're facing Scherzer. He might go maybe try and go to Nap instead of Real Muto because Real Muto struggles against him, or or maybe give uh, Nick Williams a start uh, because McCutcheon struggled against uh, Scherzer. And he didn't. Yeah, what, do did, what did we say? McCutcheon was entering tonight, like four for twenty-five with fourteen strikeouts. Yeah, it was. It would have been easy to put Nick Williams. Out yeah. there, who was two for six with a home run and three RBI entering, entering the night. And, and Andrew Knapp, who's what, one for three, I think, was what you dug up, yep. right? One yep. for three, small sample, obviously. Instead of JT Real Muto, who, who struggles immensely against Max Scherzer. And, right. and he did tonight as well. But. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so you know, he could have done that. But ultimately, he said, you know what? We're 3-0 and with this lineup. I'm not touching it. You know what's amazing? We talked a lot about this last year. We we had arguments. I remember them very well. You would say that there was something to be said for continuity in the lineup. Like, I hit in the two-hole. That's where I am. That's where I'm comfortable. That's what I'm used to, and that's going to benefit the player. Whereas I would tell you, like, you get into the batter's box, and an 86-mile-an-hour slider low and away is still an 86-mile-an-hour slider low and away, whether you're hitting in the two-hole or the seven-hole, so figure it out. But it really isn't that simple, I suppose, and you do, you kind of see Gabe Kapler again reverting to this this traditionalist theory, like continuity matters, repetition matters. And that's what we're seeing so far through four games. Now, granted, they had the off day on Friday, they had the off day yesterday on Monday, we're recording here late on Tuesday night, so I think that that's part of it. The off days have certainly afforded them the ability to kind of have rest and, and repeat the lineup, but to that end, I, I had made a tweet yesterday 
or I'm sorry, on Sunday, after the third game of the Atlanta series, it was the, the same lineup in all three games of the series, and Gabe Kapler did not repeat his starting eight. Forget the lineup construction, but his starting eight did not start three games consecutively until May 10th through 13th of last year. And in terms of the same eight guys positionally starting four straight games, didn't happen until June. So you see here where he was so reluctant to kind of say, this is my lineup, let's repeat, let's get that consistency a season ago. It seems like something has gone off in his head, and certainly the talent is is extremely different. It, yeah. It's much better, and it makes it a lot easier for a manager to say, these are my guys, this is where they play, this is where they hit. But I think that there's definitely some recognition by Kapler here in year two that I need some continuity, and it does matter. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, and I think that there was probably some conversation um, you know, with Gabe in the offseason with management you know, once this team was kind of put together. This is how it's got to be. Like, don't screw around with it. Like, unless, unless it's not working, and then you got to fix it. Um, but, you know, start with something, whatever you come up with, start with it, and then pretty much let it go. Like, don't don't tinker with it, you know, unless it, unless it gets, you know, to a point where you have to. Um, and so I, I'm impressed with that. And, and I've been pretty, pretty impressed with how he's handled the starting pitchers. I think that he's done a nice job with them. Um, you know, Pavetta was the only one that struggled a little bit, had to come out early, and I thought that he got a little bit too match, match up happy in that second Atlanta game kind of let the Braves back into it a little bit um uh you know I said, once again I sit there and say Gabe it's the second game of the season we don't need to go you know lefty lefty or right you know guy for a third of an inning guy for two thirds of an inning. just put a pitcher out there come on um but with that uh, with other than that very very small example there I think that he's managed just fine I think he's done a good job um by pretty much taking himself out of it and that's sometimes that it's that's hard to do as a manager. Sometimes you're sitting there thinking, well, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? And you maybe you overthink it a little bit, um, and and you let yourself get in the way. So it, it, there's a skill to to being to leaving well enough alone too. I mean, there is a skill to that, and um, and I think that he's done a nice job with it. The one thing I I want to question, and not question, but just ask about how much of a difference. Do you think when it comes to these pitchers and the starting pitchers especially, do you think because I, I you know we want to sit here and blame the manager all the time or talk about the manager all the time, but there are other coaches that are involved in this. How much of a difference do you think is in, is tied into the philosophy of Chris Young as a pitching coach as opposed to Rick Kranitz as a pitching coach? Like, do you, do you think Chris Young is a guy, especially as a guy who was a you know a starting pitcher in Major League Baseball, um, who? you know, believes a little bit more in letting the starting pitcher get a little bit of length. Um, we're not looking at eight inning, nine inning games here, but as opposed to pulling Arietta in the fourth, you go let him stay in, see if he can work his way out of it. Maybe his maybe his approach and his philosophy and in, in communicating that with Gabe is a little bit different than what Rick Kranitz was doing last year. Yeah, the only thing I can say about uh, Chris Young and, and really what he did uh, or what he's doing is the Phillies – were obviously very high on him uh, this offseason. That's why they brought him in, and, and they kind of got Kranitz out of there. I think that they they may value his opinion perhaps more than they value Kranitz's opinion, and I think that maybe what you're seeing here is him saying, like, you have to let these guys work through things a little bit more. You have to give them a little bit more rope. 
And, you know, you, you can't be quite so conservative in your approach with the starting staff because of the confidence factor, because of a rhythm factor, because of the things that are that, that sort of go beyond the matchups, go beyond the numbers. And, and maybe that's the pitching coach voicing that. And maybe that's Gabe Kapler and the Phillies from a philosophical standpoint embracing that. Um, you know, I don't know. It's it's really kind of hard to say if that's coming from the pitching coach specifically. But I think that what we've seen so far here through four games is an indication that Gabe Kapler understands that he's going to need these guys. He's going to need them to perform well and that there may be something tied into the confidence aspect of things where you have to let them work themselves out of situations that last year he may have said, you know what, i got to pull the plug on this. I'm going to go to the pen. Because, I mean, you remember, especially this time last year, it was a circus, you know, the first series or two of the season in terms of the bullpen usage. And and almost to the point now the other way where I think, like I said, I'm almost taken aback by how how lenient he's been and how much rope he has given these starters. So I don't know if that's a Chris Young thing, but I would suspect that that's certainly a voice that they're listening to and, and taking into account. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. We're, we've come a long way from calling Hobie Milner into a game yeah, without warming up, haven't we? It's amazing. We? You know, I, I want to talk about one other thing here in terms of Gabe Kapler or certainly something that relates to Gabe Kapler. Um, you know, I, I have another job, as as we've kind of alluded to, and uh, I coach baseball and in, in high school in South Jersey. And I was driving to my other job today, and I turned on the car, and on Pop D'Angelo Cataldi. And let me just say something here because I think that Crossing Broad has this, like, uh, I think there's a little bit of a misperception about Crossing Broad that we just, like, hate all sports talk radio hosts. And I know that you, Anthony, used to work for uh, WIP, and I know that you're very close to some of the people there. And it's kind of interesting. I've sort of made relationships with people both at 97.5 and uh, at WIP, and I think that there are several people at both of those stations that do a fantastic job. So I think that sometimes you hear Crossing Broad talk about Sports Talk Radio, and it's just like that we're automatically trying to dump or shit on these guys. And and that's really – it couldn't be further from the truth because I think that some of them are fantastic. They're extraordinarily talented. Um, I will say this. Angelo Cataldi has been a, a fixture in this city for multiple decades, and he is still killing it. The ratings suggest that he is, is still the man – and he could probably play out the string as long as he wants to, and he'll be number one in the city. All right. And, and with all of that said, I get in the car today, and Angelo's complaining about Aaron Nola not starting tonight. It's Bryce Harper's return. The, the Nationals bumped up Max Scherzer. How do the Phillies not respond by throwing Nola against them? And I said to myself, you know, it's April 2nd, and not only is it April 2nd, but it's the fourth game of the year. And Angela makes the point that, hey, you know what? Like, other teams are doing this, though. It's not just the Nationals. The majority of teams are using their guys on four days rest. Why wouldn't you throw your best pitcher in a meaningful division game that's going to have a lot of national attention? It, it's silly to go with Zach Eflin. I think that that's personally preposterous. Where did you kind of... At, at 7 or 8 o'clock this morning without knowing the result, where did you sit on that in, in terms of that issue? So it, this is, I'm glad you brought this up because I actually had a, a uh, lengthy discussion about this very topic with my son, who you know is a baseball nerd himself. And uh, um, I think I told you right off the bat that I kind of agreed with your stance that this was the right decision to go with Eflin tonight and Nola 
uh, tomorrow. And and you know you gave uh, really good statistics uh, on Crossing Broad where you pointed out how good of a pitcher Nola is when he gets that extra day of rest, that fifth day of rest. Do you want me to go into that right now real quick? Before go ahead, go ahead. You can, yeah. go, no, go ahead. Go, just tell everybody what the numbers are. I remember looking at this last season, and, and as soon as I heard this little rant on the radio this morning, I said, eh, yeah, I think there's some pretty strong numbers that support this decision. Um, and so uh, let's just go through this real quick. Last season, 2018, brilliant year for Aaron Nola, right? On four days rest, 13 games, he was 7-4 with a 2.71 ERA. Opponent's batting average was 2.01, allowed 11 homers, 3.59 slugging percentage, and a 6.11 OPS. Those are all really solid numbers on four days rest. Uh, on five days rest, however, he pitched in 17 games. He was 10-1 and with a 1.83 ERA, 1.86 batting average against only allowed four homers, 261 slugging percentage, and a 521 OPS. And when you take that out over the course of his career, the batting average against drops by 46 points to 210. And uh, the whip is only 1.036 as opposed to 1.281 on four days rest. And the ERA, and this is the biggest thing because I think that a lot of us still live in the ERA you know, era, and that's the the main stat that we evaluate. On four days rest in Aaron Nola's career, 4.73. On five days rest, 2.29. So you're talking almost two and a half runs less. So the numbers, and, and not only is it April, April 2nd and four games in, but the numbers certainly dictate that giving him an extra day's rest was the right move. Yeah, I, I, and I don't, I don't disagree with the decision, I and mean, I add in two other things which I texted you after you wrote that story. Yeah, great points too. Um, the, the first one is uh, the, the Nationals actually moved Scherzer up to get him away from NOLA, right? Because they don't want to go up. They wanted to try and win a game with their ace not having to go up against the Phillies' ace. So they moved Scherzer, not the other way, not you know, not the other way around. But the it, Phillies... it kind of like reeks of desperation to me in, in Game Four of the season. Well, that you're... not that they're not that they're desperate, but it's just like I know guys, I, like you know, it's not Game Four of the NLDS. It's Game yeah, Four of the regular season. I, I think I think there was another element to it. I think that they looked at it and said Harper's coming in for his first game. We're going to throw our best yeah. guy at him. I think yeah. that was. I think it was more that than anything else. Yeah, um, well, how did to, that work out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, banner he, banner day for he, Davey Martinez. He he really he had a day, man. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's number one. Uh, and the uh, the second thing that I had texted you um, uh, about Nola is that um, what, what was it? Oh, um, if the so if if your if your theoretical goal in baseball is to win every home series in your home ballpark and then play it just play 500 on the road and you win 95 games. I mean that would that mathematically that would kind of how it work out, right? You win 2 thirds of your games at home and you win and you go 500 on the road, you'll win 95 games. With that said, you go into a two game series in Washington, you sit there and say, would we like to win both? Of course, but are we happy with a split? Yes. So why not let Nola pitch against the weaker pitcher? And which is Anibal Sanchez tomorrow. So now the Phillies come away with a win tonight. Now you got it tomorrow. You're four and zero, and now you're going. Oh my God, we have our ace tomorrow. We could be five and zero 
coming out of the first five games of the yeah, season. You're getting a guy we, tomorrow that, that was absolutely lights out on five right. days rest last season. Exactly. Against Annabelle Sanchez, who was, yeah. who was good last year. Yeah, he but. was. He was for, with Atlanta. He was good last year. Um, surprisingly good. Uh, so, yeah, so it, so it a lot. this all works, and I agree with it. I would not have done it differently. I say Eflin today and, and Nola tomorrow is the way I would have done it as well. But Anthony, but Anthony made a good point, and I want to I want to bring it up because it, it frustrates me when when he makes good points that are opposite <laughs> of what I believe. Okay. okay, it really does because I'm sitting there saying this, this is my kid, damn it. Um, and, and this, the the point that he makes is is that a lot of times it's easy to get caught up in numbers, right? It's easy to look at it like we did and look at those stats that, that you put out, and I I side with. I say they're absolutely correct. He says it's easy to get caught up in those. But the reality is this. When you have the, your best pitcher, you want him to pitch as much as, as often as possible. And by giving him a, an, an extra day here and you give him an extra day there and, you know, whatever, he gets a fifth day, it happened 17 times last year, as you pointed out, okay? Now, that's not going to – 17 times is not going to mean he's missing that many starts, but it, it does take off – three or four starts over the course of a season when you have five days rest that often as opposed to throwing on four days rest. Um, and so the qu- he said the point is, over the course of the year, do you want three or four more starts from Aaron Nola or three or four more starts from Zach Eflin? And so I guess when you look at it in the long view, you, you probably want Nola. <laughs> Right. So so the one thing and so I said, OK, well, you know, I, and I argued back and I, this is what I said to him, Bob. I said, well, you know, and I, geez, if he, you know, just getting one extra day of rest, he's still going to get 36 starts. That's kind of like the number, right, that your ace, you want sure. your ace to throw 36 starts. He said, yeah. And, it, and he, the fact that he had this prepared kind of like floored <laughs> he, me. He was but waiting for it. Yeah. He says, yeah, dad. He says, who do you think the last major league pitcher was to throw 36 starts in a season? So I'll ask you, Bob, because I didn't know the answer and I was floored by the answer. I don't know, man. What is it, like Catfish Hunter? Like, I no, 36, 36 <laughs> is not that long ago. No, back in that day, they, back in those days when there was only four-man rotation, starters would throw 42, 43 times a year. Um, we're, we're talking, and this is the five-man rotation era. 36 is kind of that, that number, that magic number for your ace. <clears throat> I, I really don't know. 2003, and it was um, only two guys, Greg Maddox and Roy Halladay. Uh, I was going to say Pedro Martinez, yeah. No, it wasn't okay. even Pedro. Greg Maddox, Roy Halladay, 2003. So no pitcher in Major League Baseball has thrown 36 starts since 2003. And that, that floored me. That absolutely floored me. One thing I'll say is, and we're not necessarily privy to this, um, you just don't know sometimes. Like, I, It's hard for me because I, I have a lot of different lenses that I kind of look at baseball through. Like I do it as a fan. I do it as someone that used to play, although I wasn't very good. And I do it through as you know the lens of someone that coaches at a I would say a fairly competitive level. And now you're and now you're looking at it as an analyst. Yeah, and, and yeah. so there's a lot of different ways you can look at the game. And I would say, okay, that's fine. Yes, of course you want your best guy to go as often as possible. I'll just tell you though, from my own experience, that I talk to certain guys, and like I, you know, have worked with pitchers that are are bulldogs. They're guys that are like, I want the ball. You know, I don't care if my arms, you know, hanging by a thread at this point. I want the ball. I want to go out there tonight or today. 
And then I talk to guys that are like, you know what, coach? Like, as much as I'd like to do it, like, I feel like I need an extra day. I feel like I, you know, it would really benefit us. I think we'd be better off rather than me trying to come out of the pen tonight to close out a game. If you give me one extra day and I can start tomorrow, I think that that's going to be the best thing for us. And, like, we fall into these traps where we're like, well, if you don't want the ball today, then then you're soft. You know, like, but I think that a lot of these guys know their bodies. They know themselves. They know where they're going to be most effective. So the only thing I'll say about that is, yes, do I want Aaron Nola to have the ball more than I want Zach Eflin to have the ball? Absolutely. Unquestionably. The only thing that I would I would say is that, have there been conversations with Gabe Kapler to Aaron Nola? Like, hey, Aaron, like, how do you feel about coming back? And, you know, that first game in Washington, do you want the ball that night on four days? Or or would you like that fifth day? And, like, you don't know how those conversations go. And, and certainly you don't know how the player is responding to that in, in certain situations. So that's the one thing that I think we often do from the outside. We say, like, well, why are they doing this? And we don't consider the player's input whatsoever. And I'm not telling you that Aaron Nola said, yeah, I really want that fifth day of rest. That may not be the case. It could have been the complete opposite, but I do think it's something that we have to take into consideration. I just know that me personally, when I talk to players, and I'm talking about guys that are that are college pitchers now that have moved on and have done a really nice job at the high school level, that have been become higher level pitchers, they're very honest about where they're at physically and what they need. And as a coach, I don't think you're doing your job if you're not listening to what they want and what they need and what's going to make them feel the most confident. I'd rather that guy be at 100% confidence level and comfortable than 80% and kind of second-guessing, like, should I be out here right now? And that's the only thing I'll say about that. No, and I think it's fair. But And, and, and the, the one thing that, you know, that he also pointed out and he said, listen – if you need, if you need to get look, the fifth day of rest is going to come because of off days, because of rain, because of a yeah, variety. Of more things. often than not, you're going to start on five days rest than four. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it, it's going to happen. Okay, so there, there, it can happen for any myriad of reasons. So he he's his argument then that he makes is saying, why are you giving the fifth day when you don't have to in April? In other words, if you need to do it later in the season because you're starting to, you know, you're starting to feel it in his arm, whatever, blah blah blah. But at this point in the season, you probably, the, the, you know, your ace is probably not sitting there saying, "Oh, I need an extra day." And if because he, if he's saying he needs an extra day in April, what the hell is he going to be saying in September? Um, that's I still wouldn't have changed. I still would do it this way. But I will say that after talking to my son for about 25, 30 minutes, I have to admit I did think about it a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess my only challenge to that would be, and like, I wish you were here so we could argue about this. <laughs> but, you know, the only thing I'll say to that is that you're early on in the season. Aaron Nola goes, what, six innings uh, in game one, right? Yeah. How many pitches did he 99, I think, right? Yeah, I think I mean, it was 99. And I feel like that that's a, a fairly high total on, on opening day. I think that where you're at, if it's March 28th and you're going out and throwing 100 pitches, basically, this early in the season, like, I, I got to say, like, you're you're trying to win for the, you're in this for the long haul, and so if if that extra day is going to even if it doesn't physically benefit the starter, if it mentally benefits them, then I'm willing to roll with that. Now, yeah. what your yeah. son's saying it makes a lot of sense, and I get it. I would just say that that's the counter argument to it, and. We don't know because we're not sure, and we don't know if Aaron Nola said, yeah, give me the ball. I want to win Bryce's debut in Washington. That would be that would be awesome. It would mean a lot to me. And Gabe says, no, no. You know what? Our, our analytics team says you need that extra day. I mean, maybe that's how the conversation played out. We have no idea. But 
Um, with that said, I think that those are the different variables and those are the different things that you have to kind of consider when you're making that decision. Yeah, no. Whatever I, the case may be, Zach Eflin was out of control tonight. He was awesome. Five innings, nine strikeouts. He completely dominated the Nationals. And it, it, it certainly looks like, uh, and I, we certainly don't know what the result of, of today is going to be when you listen to this. The Phillies and Nationals play the second game of this little short two-game set at 1 p.m. We don't know what the result of this is going to be in terms of Aaron Nola's performance, but for one night, it, it looked like the right decision because Eflin was outstanding. Yeah, he was great. And uh, really gave the Phillies a huge boost there. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, I'm starting to like Zach Eflin a little bit more. I, I never thought he was going to be a top-end guy. I always kind of thought that, you know, his ceiling was kind of like as a as a number four, maybe. I'm surprised um, by the strikeouts. I really yeah. didn't think that he was going to generate as many strikeouts as he does. Yeah, no, he had, a, he had a really solid game. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, you have Matt Adams hurt himself um, going after that ball against the railing, kind of hurts his back, and so he has to come out of the lineup. Um, so you take a lefty out and you have to put in Ryan Zimmerman in his place. Not that Zimmerman's a bad player, but probably Adams is a better matchup against Eflin, who, who's better against right-handers than he is against left-handers. Um, and then he beans uh, Trey Turner on the hand, actually breaks a finger. That's That was breaking news post-game. Oh, is that um, confirmed he broke is, it? Yeah, uh, so he has a broken finger. That's a big blow for the Nationals because yeah. w- Wilmer Defoe stinks. Yeah. I mean, he's like... He's Michael Martinez. Yeah. <laughs> he sucks. He's a bad baseball player. Yeah. So, I mean, so you took two key bats out of the lineup. Um, so that kind of changes things slightly. But I, I don't want to take away. I mean, Eflin had a really strong game. Yeah, he was against a, against a pretty good lineup. Against a pretty good Nationals lineup. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm starting to come around a little bit on Zach Eflin. Maybe he's a little bit better than I thought. You remember Maybe, that streak yeah. that he went through last year from June oh, to like great. the beginning of July? Like six he straight was, starts, right? I, I remember we did a we did a show where I was like, hey, over his last seven starts, he's top five in Major League Baseball in X, Y, Z. And, I mean, pretty much every important statistic that's relevant, he was, he was elite for a six, seven start stretch. Then obviously he came crashing back to earth, but as a guy that's going to be your fourth or fifth starter. And I don't, I don't get caught up in that too much. Like who's the two, who's the three, who's the four. But if this is going to be a guy that's going to anchor the back end of your rotation, I can live with Zach Eflin. The question that I have is if Nick Pavetta is supposed to be one of your elite guys up front, whether he be a two or three, can he do that? I was, um, and I think now what are we in? How far are we into this thing? We are at uh, 53, 54 minutes. <laughs> I will say this. If there was one thing that kind of concerned me throughout the course of the first four games, um, the Phillies' base running on Saturday was less than pristine, <laughs> I would say. Uh, we had a conversation about this, I know. Gene Segura making the third out at third base. Cesar Hernandez needlessly stealing uh, with the pitcher up. Uh, kind of it forced a Michael Franco uh, intentional walk with to get to the pitcher, uh, there there were some kind of questionable base running decisions. I believe they tried to steal JT Real Muto on Saturday yeah, against the Braves a, with two that strikes. Was that was insane. So there were some things there that that you you don't love. Um, but of all the things that I've really watched in the first four games, other than maybe Jake Arrieta's command early on on Sunday night, Nick Pavetta. There may not be an athlete that I can remember in Philadelphia that has gotten more hype or a bigger vote of confidence 
for having done less than Nick Pavetta. And our, you and I are both guilty of this. We've been talking about Nick Pavetta since the beginning of last season, talking about his arm, the potential, the stuff. And he certainly has shown signs of, of that brilliance at times, but far too often is he inconsistent from pitch to pitch, batter to batter, game to game. And now here we are in, in 2019 in a season which they really need the light to, to go on and stay on with Nick Pavetta. And his first start on Saturday was less than encouraging. Yeah, it was. Um, and I thought that the interesting thing, uh, you know, we didn't even – we haven't – we never really talked about it, and probably a good thing that we didn't. Um, that that whole SI article that kind of took shots at mostly at Odubel Herrera, but also had a couple of interesting comments in there about Gabe, and then also one about Nick Pavetta. And, and let's definitely get to Odubel Herrera in a minute. Yeah, that that anonymous scout who was scouting the Phillies that was reported uh, reporting in SI. One of the things that he said about Pavetta, like we all said. He sees why you know he's got great stuff, and you know why everybody you know, the Phillies are bullish on him, et cetera, et cetera. But he said the one thing that he pointed out, which I thought was really interesting, is that he he has a real hard time struggling with pressure situations, and that's not anything about that's not anything about your stuff. That's mental. That's that's in your head. He's basically saying that that Nick Pavetta is a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess, if you well, if you look at the terminology and, and the way that the guy was was speaking or the way that he was yeah. quoted in the article, I mean, he more or less said that that Nick Pavetta shrivels up. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, you know, so that's an interesting thing. And you know, we when you go back and look at a lot of his starts, when he gets off to a great start, he usually has a good game. And when he gets off to you know a little bit of a shaky start, he really ends up he fights it, he struggles, um, and so yeah, maybe maybe it is a mental thing with him. Um, he st- he still only made fifty nine starts in Major League Baseball. He hasn't even thrown. No, and the stuff you know, is it's it's you, really good. If you know, like if you watch the game, if you've been around the game, and like you see the stuff, like you get it, like you get why people like Nick Pavetta because. There's a power fastball. The curveball is sharp. The slider has bite, and you just think like he's got to put this all together. But you know, I, I think that the the criticism in this case is fair. That it he just he can't consistently seem to put it all together. And whether it be pressure or the moment or what have you, he just it just leaves a lot to be desired at times. I'm still in on him because I just look at him out there. I see the size, the power, and I go, it's it's got it's going to happen. It's got to happen. But not a great start. Yeah, no. No, and it's going to be interesting because I'm I'm going to be curious to see how the Phillies manage this weekend because I don't know if you if you've looked at your uh, local weather forecast. Yeah, Friday looks like a complete wash. And Saturday could be a wash as well. Saturday, from what I saw, uh, and I look at the weather frequently again as a coach, um, it, it, 70 degrees, there's a, there's a system out there. I, I would expect them to play Saturday, but Friday I, looks Friday looks rough. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how well, they, they go. And because got the, it's an American the, League team yeah, you got coming the twins in. twins in here, yeah. So will, it be, will they automatically go double dip on Saturday? 
you know, kind of thing. Uh, Maybe, because I, I I, I, the Saturday, the initial Saturday uh, scheduled game time was 2.05, which is a, a bizarre a bizarre start time for the Phillies. But, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe they go 2-6 and we'll see what happens on Sunday. But, yeah, I, I don't know how they're going to play that. Yeah. So. So. Well, the, it'll be, inter- it'll it'll be interesting yeah. to see. No, I'm just, I'm just curious yeah. to see. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's also talk that, about possibility of rain on Sunday too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the weekend series and it actually becomes, rolls into the beginning of next week as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the weather's not great here. Yeah, it could be could be an interesting weekend for them. But the last yeah. thing I want to talk about before we get out of here, uh, and I don't know if you have anything else. We didn't really, you know, we'll be honest with the listeners. Sometimes we kind of map out how we're going to do this, and we, we sort of work through a progression. Tonight we just said. Now nah, let's go. <laughs> it's late. It's late. It's let's late. just talk. It's late. We're, again, we're doing another show. How many shows is this now? Like 37, 38? Of the 38 shows that we've done, how many would you estimate have crossed over from uh, you know, eleven the eleven o'clock hour PM <laughs> through midnight? Actually, I think it's this, I think this is our forty second episode. I okay. think it's I think it's number forty two. Um, and I would say that at least sixty percent of our shows. Uh, yeah, and I would bet you it's higher pa- than that. Gone past yeah, the midnight I think that's hour. a conservative estimate. Yeah. <laughs> So here we are. It's 1224 here in the East. Uh, So here's a a quote from when I first got hired at Crossing Broad. One of my my things was, I'm going to make Philadelphia understand and appreciate Odubel Herrera. Like that was my one of my initiative, uh, one of my initiatives when I first came in. And I wrote in an article of September of 2017, the truth is the bizarre disdain held for Herrera by a surprisingly large portion of this fan base has nothing to do with him as a baseball player and everything to do with this city's archaic and misinformed infatuation with imperceptible concepts like grit, hustle, and playing the game the right way. And I go on later in the story to talk about, you know, bringing your lunch pail and hard hat to work. You know, Odubel Herrera is a divisive player because there are things that he does that are indefensible. If you go back to Sunday night in the first inning, bases are loaded. Kyle Wright, Braves rookie starter, cannot find the strike zone. And then here comes Odubel Herrera, first pitch, swings at a change up in the dirt, falls behind 0-1. It was almost like Odubel Herrera was determined to get himself out in that at-bat. Terrible game on Sunday night. And he almost killed Bryce Harper in right center field later on, too. Uh, (laughs) So there's a lot of reasons, and it's very easy, I think, for fans to kind of get on Odubel Herrera. But you see the best of Odubel Herrera tonight. He gets three hits, multiple extra base hits. Uh, There was a short fly ball to shallow right center field. Second baseman, right fielder, converge on the ball. It falls. Herrera's busting ass around first base. Dives headfirst into second, gets there, stretches it into a double, fist pump. Everyone's fired up. It, it's great. Um, even as I'm I've, – I've kind of gone like to the to the extent of a heel on this thing where I play it up every time he gets a hit. You know, I, I sort of do the – if only he had his hard hat and lunch pail or – but he doesn't hustle. Like if you go through my timeline right now, you see me baiting all of the Odubel Herrera haters out there. I got to ask you, Anthony, like – I've kind of dug in my heels, and I think you have you ever done this before? Have you ever had like a an opinion or a take on sports, and you don't know if it's right? It's sort of like a fifty fifty take, but you just feel like you're right, and you feel like every time that there's something that validates the correctness of your take, that you have to sort of let people know about it. 
Can you think of like? Do you have like a like? You're a big hockey guy. Like, have you ever had like a hockey opinion or a hockey take where you're like, "God damn it! I know that this isn't obvious, and I know there are people that disagree with me, but I'm right about this." Yeah, I mean, I have I have them pretty frequently, to be honest with you, with hockey. But I, I do have to say that there's a caveat to the to the hockey ones. A lot of times, I don't I won't put an opinion out that's not informed um, in hockey. I think I stick my neck out a little bit more in baseball because I'm not as plugged in with the team uh, as I am with the Flyers. Like I talk to people in hockey all the time, and so when I formulate the opinions that I formulate, it, a lot of times it comes from an area of you know someone's told me it's, something. It's being validated right. by someone yeah. that's you know within right. the inner circles of the game. Yeah, right. So so therefore, I, I you know I. Do I get frustrated when I put something out and people start questioning it and doubting it? And I'm like, well, geez, I, I wouldn't say it if it wasn't like true. Yeah, so that those things frustrate me for sure. Um, but I just have to chalk that up to you know they're uninformed and I am informed. And I know that sounds kind of callous, but at the same time, it, it is what it is. So, but in baseball, I think that I have the opportunity to really formulate an opinion that I've you know pretty much created myself uh, without much of an of an influx of information from from people uh, in and around the Phillies same um, so yeah so I think that I, I I do have those opinions at times uh, about certain players and or certain you know teams or, or, or managers or whatever the case might be and I and I I'm right there with you man like I it, it drives me crazy when I feel like I I'm saying something that's correct and people don't buy it or people don't agree or they completely disagree. Look, you can have a difference of opinion from me, I, and that's perfectly legitimate. But if I'm giving you an, an information and I'm giving you a, a comment or a belief that I'm pretty confident in and you still just dismiss it, well, that drives me crazy. Like, don't just dis- – let's have a conversation about it. Like, we could disagree on something. Let's just talk. Let's just have a conversation about it. I may not change your mind. You may not change mine. But at least we'll put it out there and be able to consider each other's thoughts on it. But to, to just dismiss what is said out of hand, that, that, that's what really gets me. And so it's, it's at those times that I really then try and dig in the heels and say, I'm either, gonna, I'm either going to say something that's going to be 100% correct and look like a genius, or I'm going to dig in my heels and, and die on this hill. Absolutely. <laughs> and I feel like I've kind of sort of uh, turned into like a real son of a bitch about the, the Herrera thing here. Like, I am willing to concede that he is not a uh, a perfect player and that he does some boneheaded things from time to time and sometimes the baseball 101 sort of seems to escape him. I, I am willing to admit that. However, I look at it and I go, this is a guy that that is making roughly $6 million a year throughout the course of his contract. And when you look at the power potential – Sometimes the the ability just to to rack up extra base hits. You're you're talking about a guy from 2015 through 2017, who was essentially a 300 hitter and one of the more productive outfielders in the National League, who for two months in 2018 was the MVP arguably of the National League. And I know he had a wretched four or five month finish to the season, and I know that he's had some moments already early on here where he's done some some things that would make you scratch your head. I get all of that. I just don't understand the hate and the disdain for this guy. And it's made me kind of go the other way where I say, you're all idiots. Every time you criticize criticize this guy, you're an idiot. You all sound like 
archaic Neanderthals. Like, this guy can play baseball. And as an ancillary piece, again, it's like the same thing with Mike Alfranco. If he's your three-hitter, if you're depending on him night in, night out to be a, a major run producer, that's probably going to be an issue for you. But when I look at Odubel Herrera and I say, if this guy's hitting 6-7 for me and he's an extra piece at $6 million a year, what the hell do you want? Yeah, you're right. Um, and I guess the, the thing of it is is that – I don't necessarily I, – I don't know if I can just pigeonhole all Philadelphia fans into one category here because it might this might play out elsewhere, and I'm sure that there are plenty of intelligent fans here who, who would agree with you and me that, that, uh, uh, that Herrera is a valuable asset. But what happens is, is you he, we, we have this narrative in this city that we want these hardworking players and we want these guys who, like you said, the lunch pail mentality, right? Um, we have to eradicate this. Like it's well, my I mean, mission. It, it's my that's mission. What it, but that's to what it eradicate is. that. We are we are simple. We are a simple minded fan base because we wear our heart on our sleeve. Right, and that's really what it becomes. And so, any any little thing that goes awry, we jump all over it. At just as just as much as we jump all over any good thing that goes well for a short period of time. It's why it's why we let you know these teams break our hearts year in and year out when they don't when they ultimately don't win. Um, but it's the same thing if you want to really make a microcosm of it. Look at Odubel Herrera because, like you pointed out, he's a hell of a player. And has been a hell of a player, with the exception of the final few months of last season. Um, b- but people will buy into. And look, it's it's. Think about it. Think about what took place here this this past winter. Wh- why everybody wanted Harper and not Machado? All because of one line that he said that he's not Johnny Hustle. And thank I mean, God, because do you know how many home runs that Manny Machado has right now? <laughs> Zero. Do you know how many home runs Michael Franco? Has? Uh, no, I know, no. But that's my point. Like, like you know, I, I'd still take Manny Machado any day of the week and twice on Sunday. It doesn't matter. Like, I don't care. I don't care what he said in that interview. That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is is what his ultimate production is, and his ultimate production is a superstar caliber third baseman, and that would have been just fine here. Um, so I had no, I would have no problem with it, but, and I know you would have no problem with it, but we're in the minority, yeah. Because we don't, th- the the city does not think like that. The city thinks like you have to be a Philly guy, and this is one of the thing we talk about this in Slack. We've written about it on Crossing Broad. We talk about it on the podcast. It, you have to have. It's just this stupid mentality that you have to be a certain kind of player in, in whatever sport you play. To be loved, beloved in Philadelphia, and that's and that's just a shame because Odubel Herrera can be beloved here if we would embrace the the goofiness of him. If if we sat there and said, you know what, eighty percent of the time he's a very good player. <laughs> like if, if we if we embraced these things and stopped worrying about whatever this you know stereotype is that we have for our athletes, then we would all be fine. But unfortunately, we don't have that, and so. People like you and I have to live with it and, and you know bang our heads against the wall and say, just watch the guy play. He's pretty damn good. <laughs> well, uh, do you have – you know what we've gotten away from 
at the last couple episodes, like the the one last thing. Oh, I I know we got away from that, and I, I I'm never I've never me. been the guy that's that's really driven the one last thing. Um, no, do, do you, you have me? anything tonight? Because I do no. have something. If you don't, oh, look at you! <laughs> look at you having a one last thing. No, I I really didn't. Um, I I really didn't have anything other than you know if we really wanted to dive into. Uh, and I think it's probably a little bit late to do it at this point, but I think it's certainly something we can look at. You have all these um, players that are now signing these extensions, these contracts. Um, the Braves you know, could, are robbing. Well, could, Acuna. Acuna. I mean, it's look, it's it's historic in the sense that he's a twenty-year-old player and he's got a hundred million dollar yeah. contract extension, yeah. right? But it's taking him th- to what age thirty-one. So by the yeah, time he gets the options, to age, yeah. Yeah, by the time he gets to age 31, like he's going to be in the same boat that a lot of other 31-year-old veteran players are in this year and they're not going to be able to get that second contract. You know so what's y- going to be interesting with the CBA coming up? I think that the main focus of all the other issues is that younger guys are going to be paid earlier. And so what you're seeing teams do is preemptively kind of adjust to that. Yeah, but what they're doing, and there's there's no doubt about this, when you pay a younger guy earlier, you're you're paying him less than what his alt, what his value will be for his prime years. In all honesty, so when you look at, I mean, Ronald Acuna is getting a hundred million dollars for eleven. What is it? Until he's thirty one, right? So he's with his option. So he's twenty twenty one, whatever he is. It's ten years, right? Eleven years, whatever it is. By the time we hit two thousand thirty, <laughs> and he's a thirty one year old. Superstar, you know, maybe on a Hall of Fame track. For all we know, it, how is the money he's making then going to be worth what he, the player that he is? No, he's going to be he's going to be a bargain. He's going to be a steal because he's getting a lot of money now that guys his age don't normally get. But it's going to it's going to ultimately end up in favor of an own, of the owners and the players are going to end up getting screwed out of this. So, and I think that that's I think that's the thing that's really got to be. Got to be looked at because I really think that the Major League Baseball owners are kind of trying to take their players to the cleaners a little bit. So my, but if you last, have something that, yeah, if you have no, something, here's, you, here's my one last thing, and uh, it sort of plays into the start that the Phillies have had, but the Phillies are immune to this because their start is absolutely 100% legit. Uh, looking across the uh, scoreboard right now, Major League Baseball again, it's 12. 12- it's twelve thirty-seven, Anthony. It's twelve thirty-seven right now, and uh, I am watching the Red Sox and uh, Athletics finish up their game this evening. And Mookie Betts has just struck out. Uh, I'm sorry, actually, JD Martinez has just struck out, and there is now one out in the ninth inning of this game. I have no idea how this is going to finish, and it may finish before we get off the air. The Red Sox are going to be one in five after this game. Uh, and they're going to lose tonight one nothing. How much weight should we put into the opening week of the baseball season? Um, that's a great question. Uh, my initial reaction was going to be very little because, again, it is just the opening week of a 162-game marathon, right? Um, but I think it depends on the team. Like, like I look at a team like Boston, and if they're one and five, I'm not as concerned because they're the defending World Series champs. They have a great lineup. They have a really good team. Um, they're they're going to figure it out, and they're going to bounce back. 
but if you if you look at a team like Atlanta who got off to a slow start, obviously getting swept by the Phillies, um, they're really young for the most part. They have a couple veterans, but they're really young. And I think a young team, yeah, they 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 rode a wave of emotion last year and won the division before anybody ever expected them to. They're going to be a really good team for a long period of time with the talent that they have there. But maybe a young team doesn't quite figure out how to recover from a bad start as easily. And so that so that could have an adverse effect on that team. So that's that's how I look at it. I, I think it I think each individual team has to be taken on its own merit, um, their start, uh, whether it's a good start or a bad start or even a mediocre start. I mean, I, I flash you back to the we talked about those early those early you know those Phillies teams when they were going to the World Series in 08 and 09. They had a couple of seasons there where their opening weeks were terrible (laughs) like they weren't very good but yet they had they had become an experienced team by that point and were able to kind of push their way through um you know after a a sluggish april and then kind of get you know kind of get rolling when charlie would say when the weather got warm it became hitting season and that's when they would hit and you you know what's interesting like if you just look at the statistics right now or i'm sorry if you look at the standings right now like you have the Angels, they're one in five. Like Jesus, and then you have Boston, who's probably going to be one in five uh, after this evening. Yeah. You have um, Baltimore on the flip side of things, four and one. You know, like uh, Baltimore is is supposed to be one of the worst teams in baseball, probably the worst team in baseball. Yeah, uh, and and they're four and one to start, and then you have these teams where you go like, okay, well, like you have the Nationals who are now one and three, the Cubs are one and three. Uh, Colorado's two and four. So, how about Seattle? It's seven and one. Seven and one. Like, of these teams that we're speaking of, they're going to be uh, their fates are going to be vastly different than where they currently sit. You know, like I, if I had to venture a guess, I would say that a, a team like the Red Sox are going to eventually emerge and and probably win the AL East or certainly be a wild card behind the Yankees. They're a playoff team. There's no way that they lost that much ground after one season after being historically good. At the same time, I look at a team like the Cubs. Uh, The Cubs are kind of perceived to be one of the more elite teams in the National League, but they've been – they, they've certainly struggled thus far, and they look terrible. And, and really, I watched them play the Braves on Monday night, and obviously you have a pissed-off Braves team after being swept by the Phillies, but the Cubs defensively looked bad. They, their approaches at the plate looked bad, and there has been some speculation really leading into this season that they were destined to sort of take a step back. And so you wonder of these starts, which of them are going to be outliers and which of them are actually going to foreshadow what's to come. And, you know... It, it, I think it's it's far too early, four or five games into the season, to really make any definitive conclusions, clearly, in a 162-game season. But some of these starts are probably going to be indicative about uh, of what we're about to get into with some of these teams. Yeah, like I, if I do a quick rundown, like, and I'm not going to go every team, but I'm just going to give you some that, that stick out to me. Tampa at 5-1. and one. I think that's a great start for that team. I think that they're an under-the-radar kind of team. Everybody kind of assumed they were third in line, but a distant third behind the Yankees and Red Sox. I think that they might actually be more competitive than that. I, I really like what the Rays are doing. The Orioles won't won't sustain Yankees and Red Sox. They'll rebound, right? Uh, Seattle, 7-1. and one. I, I can't see that lasting, but I also don't think Houston, 2-4, and four, is going to be that. The, they're not going to be you know, getting beat two out of three every three games all season long either they're going to be bounce back team um i'll tell you a team that has impressed me uh, as much as anybody except for maybe the phillies so far 
That's Milwaukee. I I kind of thought that they might be a team that would that would take a step back after last year, but they've gotten off to a really nice start at five and one. And they're doing it in a lot of different ways. They're doing it with power. They're doing it with speed. They're doing it with defense. They're doing it with pitching. They're, they're doing they're, it with Christian Yelich, who's hitting yeah, 409 with a 1627 yeah. OPS. Yeah, and at home run in each of their first four games. Amazing. Like, yeah, I mean, they're they're a team that I think could be could be a real threat this year. And I know I said, well, well, of course they're a real threat. They got the game seven of the NLCS last year. Yeah, but they kind of came out of nowhere last year, and then a lot of people thought, a lot of experts thought that they were going to kind of take that step back because they thought the Cubs and the Cardinals would probably be a little bit better. Um, I, I really think Milwaukee's here to stay uh, and here to stay for a little bit with this team. This is a, this is a nice team. That's going to be a, a team that I think that if you're if you're a Phillies fan and you're looking at you know what's going to be you know who you're going to be considering you know racing with if in a wild card or maybe even if you win the division and go into the playoffs who you might play that that Milwaukee team's going to be one that's there and and they might be a little bit scary. I agree with you. Well, I don't know when we're going to do this again. I mean, uh what do we have? We have one more with Washington and then we have another off day on Thursday, right? Yeah, and then and we have then, a weekend uh, series the weekend that series with the rival <laughs> Minnesota Twins. Yeah, and uh, we'll probably do it next Monday, I would think. Yeah, probably next Monday. All right. Well, anyway, yeah. at that rate, um, we have a four and baseball team, first place baseball team. I'm excited. I think I think you're quasi excited. No, I, so, I, it's good. It's a good start. I, like I'm not excited. I'm not negative. I, no, I, you I, weren't. I, this is. I gotta say, this is probably the most. The most positive that uh, you and I have, have ever been. I, yes, I don't think anyone episodes. listening to this is going, wow, these guys are really up on the Phillies. They, <laughs> they're all sunshine and roses. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I got to say, I uh, I think that the Phillies are not going to lose between now and when we talk again. So. <laughs> well, I think they're going to win. The, I think they're going to win the, the day game in Washington and go to 5-0. and Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're going to sweep the Twins. Yeah, um, come on, the Twins, man! Like, what, what are we talking about here? Like, yeah, I, I know. I mean, but you know, you can't, yeah, that's, those on, are, it's, it's that's the, the kind, that's that's a team that's ripe for the ripe yeah, for the upset, right? You know, what I'm saying, like, okay, you've you've got off to this great start, and now this Minnesota Twins team comes in. And, so when we talk next Monday, they're going to be seven and one. You're telling me. Six yeah. and one. Six okay, and one. Yeah, there's there's right, going to be a game rained out. There's going to be a game rained out. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Well, why don't uh, why don't you tell us about all of our awesome podcasts? Awesome, awesome podcasts. <laughs> you're yes, very, you're very good at this. Oh, I know, and I, you make me do it every time. Um, we're part of the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Uh, you can listen to Crossed Up through there at any time. Um, but we also have uh, four other or five other. I'm sorry, now five other uh, podcasts. Um, at least four that are recurring. Broad lines about is, to start. is coming. It's, it's coming, it's, right? It's, the fifth one's coming. I think it's actually here. Is it here? Sort of. Sort of. Okay. So, well, that's the big one, right? That's the new big one that's coming out is okay. Broadlines. It's the right. gambling podcast that will feature you and Kyle and a, a rotating group of other um, gambling experts, uh, which is going to be fun. I mean, use that term loosely, but yeah. That's ah, all right. Yeah. It's all good. It's it's all. For, it's it's going to be a very fun. honest podcast. There's like, it, I wouldn't say gambling experts, but guys that gamble and and talk about. Let me. Can I say it this way then? Yeah. It's. It's experts on the concept of gambling, not necessarily giving you you know great picks. Experienced on, gamblers. 
on how to bet and, and the best way to bet and to and, and commiserate when things go wrong. Yeah, and to yeah. maybe maximize your yeah. your your chances of winning. Um, Had Lipscomb uh, tonight. Is that how you say it? Lipscomb. Lipscomb. Yeah, over yeah. Wichita State. That was a nice play. Yeah, I had that. that was I, a nice play. I, I just just a hunch. By the way, I, I got to start. I got to start letting telling Kyle to let me do hockey's for the playoffs I because know, I'm dude. I feel I'm like you're going to be electric in that. Uh, I'm three. I'm three for three tonight with a fourth game still going on. Although my, the fourth team I had is is losing right at the moment by only by a. See, goal. I don't want to hear that because like if if you have that, you have if you have this intel and you know that I have the itch, like you're not. <laughs> You're not texting me like yeah. I don't want to hear that. Well, the, so. Yeah, that's all right. That, but my, yeah, I'm, I'm making on, somebody. I'm making somebody a lot of money yeah. this year. Um, anyway, not, it's not me. I don't. I don't gamble it. But I, I like picking it. Smart anyway, man. we also have the uh, the Crossing Broadcast, which is our flagship show, the original podcast here uh, on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Uh, usually with Russ and Kevin Kincaid, although Bob and I jump on there from time to time. Um, Snow the goalie with me and, me and Russ will wrap up the uh, Flyer season. We have a uh, surprise guest which who we, i know very well by the yes, way yes yes you do you should uh, when you see when you see the surprise guest because we're not tipping our, our caps here uh, <laughs> you could say you could say not him. tipping our hand you could say yeah. him i mean him. it's not, it's okay. not like we'll, they have a female we'll, we'll, we'll the give flyers. you the gender yes when you uh <laughs> when you talk to him tell him i said hello he'll he'll we'll say do. oh yeah yeah i know that guy i don't yeah, like him will do so uh we have a surprise guest um uh, coming up, uh, we're going to record that later this week, and that will probably be out on Saturday, right before the final game of the season. Um, we'll uh, we'll announce who that guest is on Friday. Uh, just we wanted to keep it a secret until then. Um, and then there's uh, the two soccer podcasts. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. Kevin Kincaid talking about the Philadelphia Union and Crossing Broad FC, where Russ and Phil Kaidel, who's the other the other old guy here at Crossing Broad, <laughs> along with me, um, talking about. Out uh, European soccer, so make sure you check out uh, any and all of our other podcasts here, and uh, be sure to check back with Bob and I next week as we have the latest edition of Crossed Up to look, talk about your undefeated first place Philadelphia Phillies. So for Bob, I'm Anthony, saying thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week. <laughs>